0: everyone! Last weekend, Formula One raced at the Jeddah Street Circuit in Saudi Arabia. And if you're thinking, well, haven't we raced here recently? The answer is, of course, yes. Saudi Arabia was in fact the penultimate race of the 2021 season. And just a mere three months later, we are back. So whilst I almost always have an awful lot to say about the race itself, The entire weekend from Friday to Sunday was incredibly eventful and I don't mean in a good way either. Friday practice started off with a particularly dramatic event in the form of an attack. Not on the race circuit but nearby, about eight miles nearby, the Aramco oil depot was bombed. You'll probably have seen Aramco, they are one of the biggest sponsors of Formula One and are in fact title sponsors for a number of races and also a title sponsor now for Aston Martin. The attack was claimed by a Yemen rebel group who have been at war with the Saudi-led coalition along with the UAE since about 2015. So I don't think it was a coincidence that the oil depot was struck as Formula One practice was going on, and clearly nobody else thought that either because what ensued were some incredible scenes of disagreement and fear throughout the paddock about what to do with the upcoming race. In a rare statement of solidarity, all of the team principals unanimously agreed to continue racing. But the absolute frenzy that surrounded the likes of Christian Horner, Toto Wolff, as they came out of that meeting with the FIA and the bosses for Formula One, Were just something out of a courtroom. But what happened next was even more incredible. And that was when the drivers decided to have their own meeting to discuss what had happened and decide if they wanted to race or not. They formed the meeting under the Grand Prix Drivers Association, which is an association designed for the drivers to share any concerns that they have without having the direct influence of those governing bodies. Just a little fact on the Grand Prix Drivers Association. It was set up in the fifties, disbanded after a few drivers, including Niki Lauda, threatened to boycott the South African Grand Prix in 1982, and then it was eventually restarted just after the tragic deaths of Roland Ratzenberger and, of course, Art and Senna at the 1994 San Marino Grand Prix. So that gives you the type of things that drivers talk about primarily. Things like driver safety, and do the officials have our best safety interests in mind? I think it was clear to see as the night progressed that the drivers, or at least some of them, disagreed with their team bosses and Formula One's stance on continuing to race. Afterwards, we found out that it wasn't just the driver opinions that they were bringing. They were also bringing the opinions of those who don't have a voice in the paddock. For example, mechanics, hospitality staff, all the other race staff that come to these races. I saw on Twitter that a lot of the journalists who had left the night had to return to the track at about 2am because the meeting was still going on. By this point, the team bosses had eventually gone in, as had the Formula One officials like Stefano Domenicali and Ross Braun. And then Stefano came out and said, we are racing. As a Formula One fan, I don't really know when we should and should not be racing anymore. To me, this felt like a a slam dunk, let's go home. The fact that the drivers were practically beginning to boycott the race, to me would have been a clear indication of we should go home now. But it's happened quite a few times in the last few years where... It's pretty obvious that we should probably not be here, but we've just, I don't know if it's through pure stubbornness, but Formula One have stayed. The best examples, Spa, last year. We should have just packed up after a couple of hours, but we stayed and did that completely shambolic two-lap race. And then the year before that, Melbourne when it was very obvious that this virus was to be taken much more seriously than the rest of Formula One decided that it should be. Formula One looked like a fool in Melbourne. And every year I'm like, they've learned from it. They've learned from it. They clearly haven't. And I'm saying all of this in hindsight, right? I know that a week later, nothing happened at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. But sometimes I feel like there are risks that are not even worth Considering taking. So, on to the race weekend itself. I mentioned that the track reminded me a little bit of Monaco, and that's simply down to the tightness of the corners. Because it's a street circuit, again, we get those really close barriers to the track, we get very little runoff areas, plus the addition of it being very high speed as well. During qualifying, there was a really bad crash with Mick Schumacher. And if you've watched the replays, you'll see that it was a pretty hard shunt. In fact, they didn't even replay it at first because they were a little bit worried that Mick wasn't okay. Thankfully, he made a full recovery, but that is another Haas that's a total write-off. The estimated damage, according to Gunter Steiner, is up to a million dollars to repair that car. And again, we're in a budget cap now that is a huge amount for a team that, don't forget, lost their sponsor. Lewis Hamilton had a particularly bad qualifying. He ended up qualifying in 16th place, which was pretty dreadful. Um, I guess the only good thing for Mercedes was that George Russell managed to qualify into P6. So the car itself is very much where we thought it was last week, which is probably the third best team. But I think. Bono said afterwards that it was a set-up experiment that didn't go well for Hamilton, and alas, he ended up very far back. Pole surprisingly, went to Sergio Perez. I think this is going to be a really critical year for Sergio, because Helmer actually came out this week and said, I think that we're going to lose Pierre Gasly to another team if we don't give him that other Red Bull seat next year. This is very typical Red Bull, setting the stage early for an internal scrap. And he's also doing it to, I guess, encourage better performances out of both of them this year. But I wonder if Pierre Gasly is done now. I think Sergio Perez is a really good driver and a great companion to have for Max Verstappen. I don't think he will challenge him for the title. I think he'll play that second driver role really well. And that's something that I don't think Pierre Gasly wants to do. If he joins that team next year, he will want to fight directly alongside Verstappen. And whilst I don't think they want to lose Gasly either, because he is bringing points and performances into the Alpha AlphaTauri, I think they know that he's probably not going to get that Red Bull seat, because they don't want the conflict again. Have a look at what happened with Daniel Ricciardo. I mentioned that a few teams had some reliability issues, especially Red Bull, who obviously had two DNFs in Bahrain. Well, we thought that that was something to do with the new fuel mixture and potentially the fuel pump um, not being able to get some of that lower fuel out of the tank due to... The mixture, the, the heating, it turning into a gas, it clogging it, something along those lines. I, I don't know the full technical details, but essentially they had a fuel issue. And just before the race started in Saudi Arabia, Yuki Tsunoda in the Alpha Tauri, obviously the Red Bull sister team, didn't make it to the grid. He seemed to have an engine failure and didn't even start. So I think reliability is going to play a huge part in the season. Especially this longer season. Don't forget, we have 23 races. Some teams might even run out of money in terms of being able to bring new upgrades. Especially if, like what happened with Mick Schumacher, a crash can cost upwards of a million dollars. That's a huge amount of their annual cap. The same might also apply for Williams. Nicholas Latifi crashed twice over the Grand Prix weekend. He crashed in qualifying and he crashed in the race. Crashes like this under a budget cap and with so many races will, I think, prevent a number of teams being able to bring upgrades later in the year. And of course, that will have an impact on performance. One thing is for sure, though, we're going to get a really exciting Title battle between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. If you watched Sky Sports' coverage, you would have seen that they played an archive clip of both Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc from their karting days, where they were being interviewed after crashing on track. It's a really lovely piece of footage because it shows how far back their rivalry goes. And I think this is the first time now that Max is racing with somebody who he's known for a long time. It's very reminiscent of Lewis Hamilton versus Sebastian Vettel, for example. And so if it's going to be anything like the, I think it was the 2017 season, then this should be a really exciting battle. Given the high speed nature of this track, and we know that the Red Bull engine is, albeit has some reliability issues, is very powerful on the straights. The Ferrari was actually quickest in the first two sectors, which were mostly corners, but Verstappen managed to pull it back every single time in that final sector, and in the end he managed to overtake Leclerc for the win just three laps before the end of the race. I love watching an overtake for the win, and after a double DNF in the opening race of the season, this is the perfect way for Red Bull to come back. I think it's a shame for Sergio Perez. He was very unlucky to be caught out by the safety car that came out for Nicholas Latifi. That put him back from first to fourth. And so once again, it was a double podium for Ferrari, who looked to be in the strongest position, at least from a manufacturer's point of view this year. One final thing to note on the development of the cars is that the front wings, at the very least on the top three cars, on the Red Bull, on the Mercedes, and of course on the Ferrari, there is a very interesting little movement which I haven't seen too many people pick up on yet. There are some eagle-eyed fans on the internet who have already spotted it, so it's not new, but it's very hard to find footage of. So I managed to find some clips of the Red Bull and the Mercedes, and I will post them on my TikTok later today so you can see what I'm talking about. But essentially, it's a bit like a miniature DRS on the front wing, which is moving to kind of open and close to reduce drag on the straights. And it's clearly intended to let a little bit more of that airflow through in those high speed areas. So if you wanna see that, please check out my TikTok later, And I'd love for more people to be aware of this so that we can get a better camera angle. Next up, we go to Albert Park in Melbourne. And as I said earlier in the show, the last time Formula One went to Melbourne was a fiasco. It was a complete embarrassment, shambles. I will come up with all the words because it was so bad. And I'm not afraid to say it. I'm sorry but I'm very excited to see the race. Albert Park to me is gonna be one of the best examples in terms of whether or not the new rule changes help with overtaking. Why? Well, because Albert Park is traditionally not a very good track for it. In fact, I'm sorry to say that apart from the beautiful nature of the park and the amazing city in which it's raced at, it's normally quite a dull race. But i'm optimistic about this race i think it's going to be an incredible atmosphere the australian fans deserve a good race after what happened two years ago and i'm hopeful that the mercedes will be a little bit more competitive than they were in saudi arabia i will be back after that race